Welcome to No Shame in the Home Game, the podcast that cares how your home feels, not looks. I'm Lacey, who barely made it here. She just lost track of time today, which I think is fitting. I'm here with Sarah, our knowledgeable co-host. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Lacey. Just so you know, I was all we talking about structure and flexibility. We had the structure of this time, but then you weren't there. And I was like, flexibility. Maybe I can record the session. I'm like, I'm okay with whatever happens. So it's good to see you, though. I'm really glad you're here. But I was ready to be flexible. This is one of our in-between season episodes. So with those, it's uh, talking to experts and hearing more from them and how we can use their expertise in our homes. Now, I know Corey and Sarah, you all have worked together before. So I'm actually going to be quiet and let you talk a little bit about your origin story, if you'd like. Our guest today is Corey, and I'll let her introduce herself in just a minute. But I will say, when I started my business, I noticed there were some clients I worked with where I could not get the same results. And I noticed the commonality was neurodiversity. And so always looking for solutions, I reached out to my networking community. And I found Corey because the heavens aligned. (laughs) I thought I was going to come in with a couple questions. Tell me what to do. And then it was more of a voyage of discovery where I had so much to learn. Learn, And I was so excited by Corey's knowledge and compassion. And we worked really well together. So we can dive more into what we did together in a little bit. I want Corey, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience, your name, what your work, your specialty is, all the good stuff. Yes. Thank you, Sarah. The heavens did align. And I learned so much from Sarah that I still utilize every single day in my house. My name is Corey Whiteland. I am an executive functioning coach. So what that means is I help folks who are usually neurodiverse, like Sarah said, so ADHD, autism spectrum, anxiety. I help them build the necessary skills to be able to have motivation, prioritization, time management, all of the things that we need in order to get by in a healthy and easy and peaceful way day to day, whether it's in our homes or in our workplaces or in our relationships. When we're in executive dysfunction, oftentimes our environments are also in dysfunction and there's not a one size fits all for executive dysfunction because all of our brains and motivations are very different. So we worked well together in figuring out how to support folks are finding themselves in that, in that, on that journey. Yes. And like I said, when I met Corey, I thought, oh, I'll ask her a few quick questions and then we'll get to the bottom of this. And then it was like, oh, I've got so much more to learn. And then we thought, this is a great conversation. Let's make a recording out of this so other people can learn. And It was supposed to be three 20-minute videos, and it turned into three 45- to 50-minute videos with worksheets. And because the more we talked about it, the more there was to talk about. There's so many different ways to look at it, approach it, so much understanding. And what I learned from Corey when we started doing this was everyone's neurodiverse in some degree. It's just, are you clumped more in the center of similarity or do you spread out a little bit more? Because once we started talking, it was like, oh, well, everybody's got, like you said, different motivations, different priorities, different things that distract them. So... This applies to everybody. Whether or not you're sure you have neurodiversity in the house or not, you will benefit from something from this conversation or the course. Corey, how did you get into this type of work, which, by the way, didn't know existed. So glad it does exist. How do you become an executive functioning coach in the first place? My journey started in education. So I was a classroom teacher and special ed teacher for many years. I myself am neurodiverse. I have three neurodiverse children who are all very, very different in their needs and their motivations and their challenges. And so I saw over time with myself and our family and my students and their families that there was this need for something more, something different than therapy, because I'm a huge proponent of therapy and feel 
like everyone should be in therapy. <laughs> I think it's the best. I felt like there was something else that could happen. So I, I researched it and I looked into it and I first became a mindfulness facilitator. So I became certified in mindfulness. So mindfulness really supports folks, especially ADHD folks in building attention and focus and being able to have some emotional regulation. But then there was even more. I was like, okay, I need even more. So I became a certified ADHD life coach, executive functioning coach, and just started to build from there. So I really have, I feel like I have a unique kind of view because I myself live it. My kids live it. I have the education piece as well as the mindfulness piece. So I marry all of them. So I am definitely, like I said before, there's no one size fits all with me. There's no magic wand. I try to figure out what my clients need individually and work with them to build their own toolbox. So none of my clients have ever had the same toolbox. They all leave me with different sets of strategies and routines and systems that work for them. So that's how I came into this work and it's evolved and changed over the years, but the core of it is still supporting folks and building that that ease and balance and simplicity in their days when their days feel a little bit off kilter and unbalanced and often overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's just, it's such beautiful work. It just, again, everyone should probably be in therapy and everyone should probably have some sort of executive functioning coach. (laughs) And you really touched on what, what brought us together in that first meeting where I realized we needed to talk more than just me asking three questions was I also with my clients, no one size fits all. Every household is unique in what works well, what doesn't work well, where the pain points are. And so as you said the same thing, it was, oh, we're not trying to fit a blueprint, fit in this box. We're trying to say, here is something that we can look at and kind of solution it from the inside out. So I love that our approaches are so similar. We see everyone as unique or every household as a unique ecosystem, which I think right now is so important for people to realize your house isn't going to function like your neighbor's house, especially when you have neurodiversity in the mix, whether you have it diagnosed or undiagnosed. And Lacey's eyeballs just got really big and she's shaking her head because Lacey has shared she has neurodiversity present in her household. Lacey, do you want to touch on that real quickly? Yeah, so it's really interesting because I think you don't realize how it affects so many different things. And this is something I'm learning because my husband has ADHD and anxiety. And it's really interesting how our two neurodiversities butt up against each other in a lot of ways. Where we're similar, it makes things harder. It's beautiful in that way. It's, but it's just, he and I have been together for 13 years now, living together for 11 of those 13 years. I don't know. So you'd think we'd have it down by now, but who knows? And then when you add children who, I don't think either one of my children are neurodiverse. I just think they're children. I have a two and a four-year-old. So like my son's naked like 20 minutes in the morning because he keeps just getting distracted by his Legos and things around him. It's just, it's interesting to think about our household in a different way to accommodate all of those different needs. And we're building our household from the ground up essentially at this point because we just moved and there's more space, but that also means there's more to take care of. And there's just so much. And so we're still figuring it out. And it's a little, what's the word that I want to use right now? Tender. A little tender right now because I think it last night I looked at my husband at one point and I was like so are you gonna unpack a box not great because <laughs> he doesn't have the motivation right and so I do try to come from that place of understanding and I also am on this own my own journey of trying to figure out my own motivation I've used shame a lot to get myself to do things and I'm now in a place of trying to not do that this all touches on the same thing which is if we go back to no shame in the home game we all have a home that we live in if you live with other people no two people are the same thinking of the home ceo mentality really taking into account like you said your own motivations which may or may not be healthy (laughs) did i need to put up wallpaper one roll of wallpaper today no i didn't but i did because i just wanted to see what it looked like on the wall i just needed to see 
There's no wrong. Do what works for you. And then again, bringing in Corey's specialty of, okay, if there is some kind of challenge, instead of banging your head against the wall going, why isn't it as simple as me saying what needs to be done? It's like, okay, let's like Corey's original training of mindfulness. Let's just be aware of what's going on. And let's just all take a deep breath. And I love that, Corey, you mentioned you are also neurodiverse. Your family is also neurodiverse. And I just thought of that commercial from the 90s of Hair Club for Men. I'm not just the president. I'm a member, (laughs) too. Do appreciate that, Corey. You can really see this from all angles. Even though I will call you out a little bit, you have come to me and said with some of your situations with your family, you get really frustrated and I have to remind you because you can't be frustrated and the problem solver at the same time like you're not in the that part of your brain so sometimes I'm like okay Corey so it's good it's good to use your tools that you taught me and then help you I love it I want I do want to make sure for the (laughs) listeners because we use some terms that we're already very familiar with I want to just review for the listener the term neurodiverse and the term executive functioning so Can you do a quick explanation of both of those terms for the listener? Like a little elevator explanation? Okay. So neurodiversity means that our brains process information in a different way than a neurotypical person. So there might be a different way we process. There might be a different way that chemicals are dispersed or metabolized in our bodies. So it's basically our brains just work differently than a neurotypical person. And so, like I said, some examples are dyslexia, ADHD, and ADHD used to be ADD and ADHD, and now it's just an umbrella of ADHD. So you have inattentive ADHD. Those are like your daydreamers, right? You have hyperactive ADHD. Those are your movers and shakers. And then you have combo. So if you hear somebody say ADHD, but they don't seem to be, you know, bouncing off the walls, they have inattentive ADHD. So not just anxiety of, like, oh, I get nervous once in a while, but generalized anxiety disorder where you're truly an anxious, anxious person. So that is neurodiversity, right? And then executive function are the set of skills that take place in our prefrontal cortex, which is that front of our brain. It's what kind of makes us a human animal versus the animal kingdom. So it's being able to prioritize, being able to problem solve, think critically, manage time manage our emotions, regulate our emotions in an effective way. And so in almost all neurodiversity, there's some impact on that prefrontal cortex, on the executive functions. Obviously, it's diverse, so it depends on who the person is, what is affected, how much it's, um, it depends on how much they've learned to cope, how, what they've masked over the year. But almost all folks that are neurodiverse have some sort of impact on executive functioning. And so the awesome thing that I love, because I'm a super brain nerd, is that through different exercises, through different practices and habit building, we can actually strengthen that part of our brain. So MRI studies show that if we practice certain things like mindfulness, like habit building, we build gray matter in our prefrontal cortex. So we actually make it stronger. It's like going to the gym and make your your muscles stronger. You actually can strengthen that part of your brain. So it'll support all areas of your life, right? So sometimes I work with clients on one specific thing, like we're just going to work on morning routines. And the reason why we do that and why we get really so nitty gritty is because once that is built in, not only do you figure out what works for you, but then you also are building that muscle in your brain and then it'll carry over to other parts. So any questions about that? Or is that? Oh, I didn't have any questions. I was just going to point out again how similar our work is. When people say, oh, my whole house, right? And I'm like, yeah. we're going to pick one room. Or one process Mm -hmm. like you. And no, once you have that one thing working smoothly, same exact thing, then it grows, you build that structure. I wanted to comment on too is as you're describing this, it's like, oh, it's just how your brain is built. So often our emotions want to shame us or shame somebody else or why are you, why can't you just do this? Or why are you seem so lazy? It's 
the brake. That's the way the road is built. That's the way the car operates. No, there's just a certain point. It's just what's inside of us. So this, again, that mindfulness, if you live with neurodiversity in any way, shape or form, just accepting that, yeah, it's got a unique subset that you get to figure out how do their brains function. So there's a little bit of detective, like, okay, what is working? What is more of a challenge? Lacey, did you yeah. have any questions before I got all excited? Oh, I have so many questions. It's one of those things where I like, want to ask questions and be like, how can I make my husband do this? But I also know that I can't do that. And I think one of the biggest things that we, he and I struggle with, I, when I see a problem, I attack Like, problem, attack it. Problem, attack it. And so we know that his ADHD is a block for us in certain places and affects certain things. So I'm like, why aren't you attacking your ADHD? <laughs> like I would attack my a problem. And so it's a really hard dance of like, I want to be understanding, but also how do we tackle this? Because he takes his medicine before he goes to work in it, but he doesn't like how that makes him feel at home. And I totally understand that because he is like this like laser focused. He's not as fun and playful with our kids. And those are the parts of him that I love. So it's just yeah. such a, I don't even know if I'm saying, if I'm asking a question, but just making a comment that to attack this problem is difficult in itself. So may, I just want to validate yeah. people out there who hear this and are like, oh, I want to do that, but I can't because of X, Y, and Z. It's like, yeah, that is part of the problem. You can't just mm -hmm. attack it like I want to. It takes a lot of work and thought and effort. So I guess it's a don't affirmation slash if you have a way to solve my problems, please do. But I don't think you do. I think so much of what you're saying is task paralysis. And that is that overwhelm that literally puts our brain in that stop mode. And it is such a huge thing, right? It's not just one thing. It's not like, oh, I'll figure out how to get this picture hung this weekend. It's so big. There's a meme that I love that it's like, I see the thing. I want to do the thing. It's causing me so much anxiety and shame to not do the thing, but I can't do the thing. Right. And that is like the quintessential inner dialogue of ADHD. It has nothing to do with being lazy. It has nothing to do with not wanting to do the thing. So when you talk about folks that are like, I want to tackle this problem, but it is so overwhelming to my brain and my nervous system to even think about trying to that I just I can't. And or ADHD brains are also really good at like on blinders. So even if someone's telling us, hey, this is a problem, we're like, I don't see it. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to just protect myself in my little bubble over here and pretend like those boxes don't need to be unpacked because that just seems like such hard work and I don't really care if they're unpacked or not. So I'm just going to put on my blinders and let Lacey figure it out, even though I know that it's making her really frustrated. So the combination of those two things can be really, really hard on the actual person. And then also so hard on the folks that live with that person or work with that person or have a relationship with that person, because it is really hard to understand if you don't actually see it and feel it. Absolutely. If it's not your lived experience, because I have so many parents that come to me and they're like, my kid is so lazy, right? Because it does look like that from the outside. It really does. Yet it has nothing to do with being lazy or hardworking. It has everything to do with the chemicals that are going on in the brain and the body that are either lacking or really, really slow to be initiated. And then it's, you know, like you talked about before, it's that, that shame cycle, right? So then we just become so down on ourselves. It's that failure feedback loop of all those times I tried to do the thing or all those times that... I didn't get the thing finished or I, you know, was told that the thing wasn't good enough or I wasn't good enough to do the thing. It Then it's this awful feedback loop where it makes it even harder to do the thing. Over that hump is now not just like a little hill. It's like Mount Everest. And so it is. It's really hard. Home Harmony is an online course for those with neurodiversity or living with someone who is neurodiverse, looking to find solutions to make your home run smoother. This three-part course with executive functioning coach, Corey Whiteland, combines my knowledge of home management and her understanding of neurodiversity. 
We not only show you a how-to approach, you get to watch along as we apply the steps to Corey's own home. There are solutions for harmony in your home. Sign up today at joyfulsupportmovement.com to learn how. So use that example, and I'm not going to use Lacey's box example with Joe because it's way too close to home. I want to use your example. Of- <laughs> Joe's wonderful. I just, I can't. I don't no, this we all like love Joe. I am, I am the president of hashtag more Joe. <laughs> but so let's use that example. Let's say you have a client who wants to hang a picture, which was your example. I want to hang the picture. I want it on the wall. I want to do it. But I'm overwhelmed. What's how do you break that down with a client? How do you make that hanging the picture happen? So first we have to start with why have you not hung the picture? What's getting in your so when you think about the picture, hanging the picture, what's going on in your brain, in your body, what physical sensations are you feeling? Is there a history with hanging pictures that didn't go so well. You know, what is the story you're telling yourself or what are the thoughts and feelings that show up when you think about hanging that picture? Then we go to the motivation. Why do you want to hang this picture? Why is this important to you? And if I get an answer back of something like, oh, I don't know. My partner keeps telling me to hang it. I don't really like it. Like my partner got it with their ex, whatever it might be. Then you're like, oh, ding, ding, ding. (laughs) So then that's a whole other, that's a whole other hike we have to go on. But if they say, I really want it on the wall, I really like it, but it's just, I have to go get the hammer and then I have to get the nails and then, oh, I don't have nails. So you know what? I'm going to have to go to the hardware store and buy the nails. Then you start to unpack, oh, wow, that's a lot of executive functioning that has to go into place. So then what we do is we break it down. Okay. What's the first thing you need to do? I need to go to the hardware store. Okay. When are you going to go to the hardware store? Tomorrow, I'm getting my hair done right next to the hardware store so I could buy the nails then. Okay, awesome. So tomorrow, you're going to buy the nails. Great. Okay, then what's the next thing you need to do? Oh, I need to get the measuring tape out and I need to measure where the hole's going to be. Awesome. When are you going to do that? Right? So you literally, what neurotypical brains do, they do that, right? Neurotypical brains are like, oh, yeah, I got to go buy those nails. I'll do that tomorrow. Executive dysfunction brains are just like, oh. But question here, and knowing that Joe does science... Joe can go and do science and do the the work equivalent of hanging a picture, but can't come home and do the box. So I'm trying to not make it Joe centric, but okay. So somebody has a picture to hang at home, but they can go to work and fill out that report. What's the difference between that work and that home task? Oh, girl, you are talking my language because that is my husband who is an engineer. And I say all the time, how the heck do you, are you successful at your job? Like you cannot figure out how to go grocery shopping. How are you successful at your job? Um, and he is. And here is why. Different motivations, different interests. I'm sure Joe likes science. He probably gets a kick out of science. He was probably the kid that loved to do Legos and loved to do science projects. And science class was probably cool with him. But then when he had to go to English class, he was probably like, I'm good. I don't really need to write this page. So it's different motivations, different interests. So that's the other thing that is really crazy about ADHD brains. When we are excited about something, our brain can laser focus. We can get that done. We can focus on it for hours. Even yesterday, I had a new client and the mom was saying, yeah, when she was little, we didn't think she had ADHD because she could do Legos for like seven hours straight. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's actually not typical, right? Like, <laughs> It's not typical for a five-year-old to sit for seven hours and only do Legos and not hear anything and not take a break to go to the bathroom or eat. So oftentimes that's what happens. And that's a really awesome thing when someone can find the work that drives them, that motivates them, that they can hyper-focus on. They also at work have different expectations and different accountability. You know what? Joe and Matt, my husband, maybe they could be friends. They probably, they don't want to let down their coworkers. They don't want to not do well in their job. They want to be able to provide for their families. That's different motivation than hanging the picture. If they don't hang the picture, what we might get like, frustrated and be like, I can't believe the picture's still on the floor. It's been there for two years, but they're not going to lose their job. 
They're not going to let down people that they don't, that don't unconditionally love them. They're not going to have that different motivation or that different accountability, right? So it's, it's a different set of motivated steps that go with job. Now, that being said, a lot of folks that have ADHD don't have that in their jobs. So they have this same struggle. I have a lot of adult clients who say, I go to work. I spend half an hour trying, trying to do my job and the other seven and a half hours playing on the internet because they don't have that. So this is a challenge for a lot of folks in jobs as well. And it's a really true devastating challenge because a lot of folks lose their jobs or job hop or don't have very good performance reviews. It can go both ways. But if someone's able to really rock it in their job and not rock it at home necessarily in terms of executive functions, it's usually because of motivation and interest. Yeah, I was going to say, so anyone listening, if you are getting your frustration on your spouse, partner, somebody you're living with, because you're like, why is it you can do X, but not Y, turn it around and be like, oh, I'm actually grateful they can do X. (laughs) That's happening. And then understand there's everything Corey just said as to why X is happening and not Y. And that's what's hard is in a home, you're like getting emotionally feelings, right? They're not helping mm-hmm. me. They're not doing this. They're not holding up their hand of the bargain. Mm-hmm. And it becomes like, to know, oh, they're not consciously deciding not to do that. It's like their brain just isn't yeah. wired to do it that yes. way. And again, like so many similarities with my work when you going back to the executive functioning, even whenever I have clients who aren't neurodiverse and they're stuck and it really is me seeing all those steps and going, oh. And I have, and I do the same thing. No, we're going to start with this. Like you said, going to get the yeah. nails and I lay out the steps mm-hmm. and they, these people, again, they're not neurodiverse, mm-hmm. but they feel overwhelmed until I give them the 10 steps to get to the end result. So again, yes. love those similarities. And then during our home yeah. harmony, we came up with the example so I could understand it better. It's like the tokens in a game. Every game needs different amount of tokens. Mm-hmm. So if you think of a more of a neurotypical person might need one token to do the task. Some neurodiverse people might need three, four, ten tokens yes. of motivation. It's those yes. brain chemicals. It's all of that. It's just that game needs more tokens than I do. It's just like looking yeah. at it from taking out that emotional component, which... Again, home harmony was the name of the course (laughs) because the goal is harmony. And all those things you mentioned, too, for for anyone interested in the course, there is a worksheet that walks through motivations, priorities, helps figure out all of these different aspects so you can do that with yourself or somebody else who's neurodiverse. Yeah, for sure. And that just this morning we had that where... My sixth grader is really excited about making their Halloween costume. Like it's all they can think about. It's all they can talk about. It's all they want to do. And um, they're very creative and they're making this really cool costume. So my husband said, okay, as soon as you finish putting away your breakfast food, then you can work on your costume before school. My kiddo left. My husband came in and was like, one thing was put away, right? There's still bread all over the counter. The peanut butter is still open, but the jelly was put away. It's so easy to be like, I can't believe why they didn't put it away and they worked on their costume instead. But really what is in that little mind, they're like, oh, I put something away. I'm done. It wasn't out of defiance. It wasn't out of not wanting to follow directions. It was really like, oh, I'm done. I did the thing. They told me to put something. I, I did it. So in their mind, they're like, check, I'm good to go. So it's also that really that recognition of people are doing the best they can with the tools they have at the time. So when you're talking about that emotional component, right, that's always so helpful for me to remind myself when I get so frustrated and I do, I get so frustrated is, you know what, everyone in my house is doing the best they can with the tools they have at the time that I can either choose being combative and what that's the explosion that's going to happen that way, or I can choose connection and support. 
And so it's, it is true too, because, you know, when you were talking about they can do the thing, there's also like the examples of, okay, they can do the fantasy football for hours and hours and hours. So it's not just work. They can do, you Dungeons know, the other things for hours. or something like that. Just yes. an example. Yes. Just, just, just like pulling that out of your hat as an example of like, maybe somebody would do Dungeons and Dragons for hours yet not be able to put away the peanut butter. So it's also though about recognizing, okay, they can focus, right? So then how do we harness that and help them use that as a carrot, right? Help them use that and not in a condescending way, but hey, partner, we really need to get X done. And I know you really want to do Y, right? So what? how do we want to do that today on this Saturday? How much time do you think X is going to take us to do? How much time do you want to spend on Y? Let's schedule that out. For instance, the picture hanging. How long do you think the picture hanging is going to take us? Oh, 10 minutes. Okay, awesome. Do you want to do that now or do you want to do it after lunch? Right? Because I know you really want to play some Dungeon and Dragons. So how do you want to do that? So honoring the need to get that dopamine and that serotonin that doesn't come so easily for neurodiverse folks, while also kind of saying this is what also needs to be done. Because sometimes the people that are in executive dysfunction do need those bumpers, right? It's like bowling bumpers. They do need someone to help them and support them putting up those bumpers. And it's not about control and it's not about shaming or judgment. It's, hey, let me help you because if we get this done, then this is going to actually be a lot more fun for you. You're not going to have that mental real estate or that guilt or that frustration hanging over you or hanging over me as someone you love as you get to do the other And let's validate too for the listener who like Lacey might be the partner of somebody who's having these challenges. It's like, what you just said, Corey, is brilliant and awesome. And that also takes energy from the individual. That's why your job is an executive functioning coach. Because to be the spouse and the executive functioning coach for your partner, like, that's really tough. (laughs) Yeah. So true. I tell parents that all the time. I'm like, let me be that. Like you're having to be their executive functioning. Let me be that right now. So you can restore your relationship as a parent, not as a nagger, not as someone that's just constantly feeling like you're like the executive assistant, right? Like someone who you get to be the parent and let me be that person for a while. So I can help build that up and you get to reestablish your relationship as the parent. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have to. All parents, whether your kid's in executive dysfunction or not, have to do some of those things. But when your kiddo has ADHD or some other neurodiversity, it is a million times fold. Because also their little brains are still under construction, right? Like our brains, our prefrontal cortexes aren't fully developed till our late 20s. So if you, your kiddo is also, even neurotypical kiddos, executive functioning is subpar compared to adults. You add in the neurodiversity piece, oy vey. At least you still have littles. But research now shows that in adolescence, the executive functioning, the prefrontal cortex actually drops because the body is having to put so much energy towards other developments like in puberty. And so that is why teenagers and middle schoolers really do act like toddlers. Like their brain is literally like a toddler. That's why they don't have very good emotional regulation. They're impulsive. They need more sleep. Their thinking is off. I don't know where it is. As someone who lives with teenagers, I can tell you that is very true. So it's a lot, it's a lot of patience that comes with it. So if you can outsource some of that. Or find the center of stillness for yourself so that all of the chaos can swirl around you. The Joyful Support Movement newsletter is a great way to deliver some goodness into your inbox. Once a week, you will receive a joyful prompt, an opportunity to share your story, and a helpful step to make life easier. If you could use some more goodness in your life, sign up for the newsletter today at joyfulsupportmovement.com. I was thinking back to Lacey's example with the box. I was just wondering as you were talking, 
is it possible that unpacking the box seems overwhelming because they're in a new space and it's like, where does this go? I don't know. I got to figure it. Like each, it's a literal Pandora's box of each item becomes another list of questions. I don't know. We don't have a place for this. Where was it in the old house? I mean, I'm wondering if opening that box to him feels as though it's unattainable to figure it all out. Can I have a little anecdote here? Last night. So I think, so what I've, what's happened is I've unpacked so many boxes that I'm like, I can't touch enough box. And last night I tried. I opened up a box. I started putting things away and there was stuff at the bottom. And I said, we either need a junk box or I'm throwing everything away. Which, if you want to give somebody motivation, tell them you're going to throw their stuff away. Because he came in and did that for me, Sarah. He was like, okay, we're going to put this here. We're going to put... It's so interesting how you are... I think you're totally right. But in that moment, my executive functioning was like, heck no. And he came in and made all those decisions. I still throwed everything away. He's like, you are not throwing away my stuff. My dopamine just spiked. All of a sudden, I have all this motivation. And that's what he was like. I don't... Because I think what I said was, this is just going to be a junk box. We'll figure stuff out later on. And he was like, I really don't want to do that. So I'll figure these things out. And so I think that's what it is, is he had a stake in the game that he didn't want that moment to have chaos and, and whatnot. Yeah, that's so funny that she said that because the other thing that like ADHDers and neurodiverse people are famous for is like the box or the bag, right? So when you clean up, you're like, I don't know where this stuff goes. I have no energy to figure it out. So I'm just going to shove it in this bag and put it in the closet. Then you pull out this bag and you're like, oh, here's all this random stuff that I had. Here it is. Or the box, right? So that's so funny that she said that because his ADHDers are famous for that. I was going to say, I know a couple of clients. Some of them definitely had executive functioning challenges. Some of them did not. But yes, there was that box or bag and multiples of them. Oh, that's the box from when I sold that car. That's the box from when I changed Chuck. That's the box from when I finished a project. Processing that Uh is boring. Like there is no, there's not much joy in processing. Mm -hmm. I do want to circle back to, I'm so glad you said that about teenage brain. Because I did have this feeling with my son who turned 11. He used to be a lot better at three-step directions. And it's gotten to this Mm -hmm. point where, We'll be at the bottom of the stairs and I'll give him three, I'll give him, I'm down to just one direction and I'll make him mm-hmm. say it as he's walking upstairs because he would forget uh-huh. it by the time he was at the top of the stairs. We don't have that big of a house. It's just a general two-story house. And I'm like, how are you forgetting this by the time you get to the top of the stairs? And now I'm like, again, yeah. brain. It's not yeah. a judgment on who they are as an individual, like morally. They're not doing it to piss me off. Your brain <laughs> is actually, like you said, changing. And so that information isn't staying where it needs to stay or getting where it needs to get to. Exactly. So one tip I have for that, that I tell families when I work with them all the time is the three finger direct. So you have your three fingers. You can even do this with your little lacy. So socks, teeth, shoes, right? Just say you need to brush your teeth. Socks, teeth, shoes. So what's this finger? Socks. What's this finger? Teeth. What's this finger? Shoes. Socks, teeth, shoes. So when they go up, they're like, socks, teeth. oh, shoot. So it's having that kinesthetic And um, that works really well for kids at school too, right? Because at home we can have stickies all over their house or reminders, but at school, they're just constantly being bombarded with directions. And then also to make it like a song, like my dad who has severe ADHD has his little wallet, keys, phone, every time he leaves the house, wallet, keys, phone, what's, what else would he need? Sunglasses? Can't remember. Glasses, but he has a little song. And even when he leaves, if we leave like a restaurant. We'll be like, do you have all your stuff? And they'll be like, wallet, keys. I think it is glasses. Wallet, keys, glasses, something. Wallet, keys, glasses. And he sings a little song. So that's how he remembers it every time. So if you have a little song, okay, when you go upstairs, what are you going to remember? Socks, shoes, teeth, brush them, socks, teeth, too. And when they get to be like middle school, they think it's lame, but they still will do it. As like, okay, whatever, mom. But it helps. It's about finding different ways 
as their brains are developing and changing to help them figure out what works for them. Is it kinesthetic? Is it a song, right? Is it just repeating over and over? Is it putting them in alphabetical order? Is it doing a, a little poem for it? What it? Whatever it might be and helping them figure it out. And that works, like I said, for toddlers all the way up to 73-year-old men like my dad. And now he's going to have to listen to this and I'll tell him, guess what, dad? I talked about your song. You're famous. Not really, but hey. Whatever tools or solutions you need. And I think what I hear from all of this is acknowledging what it is. Okay, this is what it is. And then what tools or the motivations or what works. Mm -hmm. Okay, how do we piece this together? Find the tool that works. Keep implementing that. Mm -hmm. Reducing the extraneous friction. And just, okay, rinse and repeat. And then Again, I'm going to throw in having compassion for yourself. If you're the home CEO listening, being a home CEO is overwhelming on the best of days. Everything's working. You still have appointments. You still have food to make. You still have laundry. You still have stuff to clean. But then it's like, and then the dog gets sick. And then the water heater breaks. And then the toilet doesn't flush. And then you got a call from the school nurse. And then you throw a neurodiversity on top of it. And it's, okay, we need double the compassion, double the understanding. This is another tool I use with my clients, changing expectations. It's like, don't try to be like your neighbors. Stop comparing yourself. You each have a unique set of tools. And it's going back to the tagline of it's not how your home looks, it's how your home feels. Focus on the basics and how is everyone feeling. Although... As we discussed with priorities, for you, Corey, it helps your anxiety if things look more picked, if things are more picked up, if things are in their place. And then so finding, okay, how do you line up your priority with somebody else's priority who maybe is not picking picking stuff up? <laughs> yes. You mean like the other four people in my house that don't have that priority? <laughs> like they have the exact opposite priority? Yeah, it is about trying to find balance and also bringing back to that awareness, you know, so I'll say I know when I'm really triggered with anxiety, even if it's not anxiety within my home, if it's work or my parents worrying about them or whatever it might be, I get very anxious about my home. That's where it comes out. And so I'll say our home is such a disaster. And my kids and my husband make fun of me all the time because they're like looking around and they're like, it's, I don't know what you're talking about. It's totally fine. And I'm like, no, this is out of place and this is cluttered and this. And so it's also bringing awareness to how I'm showing up, right? What is that really, right? When I say it's such a disaster, am I really talking about uh, the things that are out on the counter or am I talking about how I feel about something else? So that's also something that I work with clients about is like what is actually true and what is actually helpful, right? Because our thoughts are just thoughts. They're not facts. So it's about thinking about what is true and what is helpful. So when I say my house is such a disaster, I need to pause the pause button. I need to look around and I need to say what is true. Okay, what is true is there's some things out on the counter. What is true is that I wish, you know, the stairs didn't have all the things on it that people have not taken up that I've sat there, right? What is helpful is for me to say, hey, I really need someone to help me clean up the kitchen. Is anyone available right now? So reframing those thoughts that become ruminating, frustrating, that put us in that like vicious cycle of anxiety and shame and worry and judgment and all those really difficult, challenging emotions. One really helpful way when you're talking about taking care of yourself as the home CEO is to really help take care of yourself, right? The hot water heater is broken. The dog is sick. The toilet won't flush. It's so easy to be like, everything is falling apart. Everything's a mess. I can't do anything. Our house is a disaster. All of that. But then really bringing it back to, okay, what is actually true? What's actually true is Yeah, it really sucks the hot water heater's broken, but they're coming tomorrow to fix it. The toilet won't flush, so I got to make sure I put a sign there so people don't use that one until we can take care of that. The dog is sick. Thank goodness we have a vet that we trust and love that I can take the dog to, and I got to make that appointment for this afternoon, right? So bringing it down to the actual truth and then being able to reframe to a more helpful thought is 
a game changer, not just for the neurodiverse person, but for the people around us as well, because it does become really overwhelming. It, It can become really stressful. I myself am neurodiverse and I don't understand my kids 99% of the time because the way they show up is completely different than the way I show up. So helping myself when I'm having those reactive thoughts can be really, really powerful in, in helping to create some more balance. And you know, like you said, how does it feel rather than how does it look? Anyone who's curious, during the Home Harmony, we used Corey's mudroom as a real example of what was a pain point and then going through all the steps we talked about, and you actually get to watch her mudroom transform and see, okay, how can we make this work for everybody and find what you value, what the kids can't are capable of doing easily, and then reducing those yes. friction points as much as possible, which was amazing to see that transformation. It's been over a year and it's still going strong. Yeah. Sarah is a wizard. Move over, Harry Potter. Sarah's in town. But again, it was so cool because, like I said, you're an executive functioning coach. This is what you do. And then, but I, with outsider eyes, was able to look at it and just be like, step one, step two, step three, step four. And so sometimes it's just about realizing you need some outside support. Sometimes the solution is not inside the house. Sometimes it is outsourcing. So I'm wondering on that note, I'm kind of wondering with Lacey in the box example, like what can we leave Lacey with as tools of support to move the box situation forward and find the coffee maker? Let's not even get started on the coffee. You don't know where your coffee maker is? It's a whole thing. That is the saddest thing I think I've heard all week. There's a silver lining. My cheap coffee maker. I have an expensive espresso because the pods are expensive, but I love them. They are. I know where the Nespresso mm-hmm. is. So I've been, my husband and I agreed that this is worth, while we are finding the coffee maker, I can use the Nespresso. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> lemons out of lemonade. Or lemonade out of lemons. Oh, how do you make lemons out of lemonade? I want to see that magic trick. <laughs> Cappuccinos out of Nespresso. I don't know. I'm not, I'm gonna just. Use the seeds, grow a new tree. <laughs> I don't know. But maybe that's Joe's motivation because he does some of the financial stuff. Every box that is not unpacked is might be the mystery coffee box. So I'm just going to keep using my Nespresso's. <laughs> and maybe that's it. You're, I don't care about these boxes because I keep getting to use my Nespresso's. <laughs> Last night I did say, okay, we just need to get all the boxes in one place that I don't see. Things that we use and that we, with the exception of my coffee maker, have been put away. It's the like books that we're going to get a bookcase. So I'm not going to unpack it just to not put it anywhere because we're going to get a bookcase eventually, but I'm not going to worry about that. Those kinds of things. Um, And so I was like, maybe I just need to have a space that it's like, this is where boxes go. I will unpack them when they happen. But for right now, I just can't feel like I'm living in this constant state of transition. That makes my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Who's got it? It's as much Joe's not unpacking a box as it is Lacey's anxiety with the boxes. Oh, it's actually 50-50. Yeah, butting heads. Yeah. But it's like, oh, could Joe move? Did he move the boxes for you? Not yet. <laughs> I think it's a good idea for me to take them to him and he can decide. So then it's his choice. Yeah. And that will maybe give him a little bit more ownership and motivation. I also would recommend figuring out a timeline with Joe. Like, so... This is what, you know, coming with that I message, this is what I need right now to feel comfortable in our home, to feel settled. And I need it by Saturday or Sunday. When do you have time to help me with that? Should we do that tonight or tomorrow night? So ADHD brains need a deadline. Like, let's just get it done. That means the picture's on the floor for five years. So I would recommend definitely not just giving him the re- the choice of, do you want to do this or that, but also... It needs to be done by this time. When would you like to do it by that time? Because that's helpful for that deadline is a must. I will say we're big Christmas people, holidays. And so in order to decorate a house, you have to have it at a stasis, right? You throw more chaos at it. So maybe that's before we can decorate. We really need to get everything. 
When are you a decorator? Are you a Thanksgiving decorator, like right after Thanksgiving? Are you mid-November? Mid-November. I like to ease into it. Okay. One of the things that I learned with my anxiety is I need to do things a little bit at a time. So breaking things down. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to hang these pictures today. It creeps in. But we'll start playing Christmas music and that kind of stuff after this. So you can have that date. Okay, I want to start decorating November 15th, right? So we need to have this done by then. And then working backwards. Okay, so if we need to have that done by then, when do we need to have that bookcase? When do we need to, right? So it gives Joe this sense of, oh, I see when it needs to be done rather than it just needs to be done. Because an ADHD brain is like, cool, it gets done someday. Glad to know. So many good tools. Lacey, do you have any more questions for Corey? I know you have all the questions, right? (laughs) I don't think so. I think one, I feel so validated because of something we talked about earlier is I literally said to Joe, I feel like it's my job to manage your ADHD. And to hear that sometimes that's what he needs, but it's also okay for me to say, I'm not, that's not my job here is really Mm -hmm. nice. And I think maybe... We need to talk through where I can put bumpers in and for us both, because he'll get upset with me when I'm like over managing him. I think that that mindset, just talking through it really helped me with that part of this mindset. That's really one of my biggest takeaways. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah, it's about creating those boundaries, right? Boundaries for you, boundaries for him and respecting those boundaries and then figuring out, okay, where do we meet in the middle? Well, Corey, I can't thank you enough for being awesome. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank <laughs> oh, you. and it's, I just, I had such thank a joy you. when we created Home Harmony and I use tools, like I said, in a Home Harmony course, whether or not you have neurodiversity in the house or not, like doing that course is helpful because when you live with other people, it's good to have an approach to work through these points of conflict. And for sure, I, yeah, I use some of the tools every day and I know for me. And so I am just so thankful, like I said earlier, that the heavens aligned and that we met each other. It was so wonderful to chat with you guys today. This made my day. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to No Shame in the Home Game. We hope you can take a little nugget of goodness to use in your own home. Remember to subscribe to the podcast in the player of your choice, like us on social media, rate and review, and share us with all of your friends and maybe a couple of non-friends if you want. You can always visit joyfulsupportmovement.com to learn more about No Shame in the Home Game and other Joyful Support podcasts. While you're there, you can join the newsletter or sign up for the Joyful Support Village. Now go out there and spread some joy.